I don't know if you appreciate as much as I do the emphasis of the music. You know, there's so much drivel out there that's about me and myself and I, and, and uh, you know, Jesus gets in there somehow, but I just appreciate music that just exalts and praises and is focused on God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. I don't know about you, but I just appreciate our worship bands. Mainly for that reason. This morning, let's turn our Bibles to Romans chapter 3, and in our continuing verse-by-verse study of the great epistle of Romans, we come to verses 27 through 31, and I'd like to begin by reading that together, if you'd all turn there. As we wrap up this chapter, Paul has been showing the condemnation of all men, Jew and Gentile, Jew and Greek, circumcised, uncircumcised, it doesn't matter, all are equally condemned before a holy God. And he says, where then is boasting? Verse 27, it is excluded. By what kind of law of works? No, but a law of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law, Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Yet since indeed God, who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised uncircumcised through faith, is one. And he says, do we nullify the law through faith? May genita, may it never be. On the contrary, we establish the law. Very interesting questions and arguments presented here. I've entitled the sermon this morning, The Gospel That Glorifies God and for Good Reason. Because Paul asks some very penetrating questions that leave us with no other option than to conclude that what the book of Romans presents is the only true gospel and therefore the only good news that truly glorifies and honors God. And that's his point, the glory of God, the glory of the one we worship, and the glory of what he has told us, not the glory of man. And Rome was probably the center of the glory of man. I don't know if you've ever been to Rome, but we went there with Ralph and Martha, and after a while you just see these massive statues of man's glory, and you just walk around going, I wonder how many people died to make that. And it was all about the glory of man. It was, it was in a sense, it was kind of creepy. But this is about the glory of God. Now we've already seen that man is utterly sinful from the knowledge of God. He's devolved into the religious abyss of false religion and idolatry and the worship of demonic spirits and doctrines of demons. 1 Timothy 4.1, he has developed systems of religion that exalt the efforts and supposed righteousness that he can conjure up by his own self-efforts. But what Paul has shown us in these first three chapters is that man, Jew, or Gentile has no cause for self-congratulations or self-satisfaction and even much less for the self-exaltation that would secure him a spot in heaven. Self-worship leads nowhere but downward and ultimately to hell. And man, by his own self-effort, religiously or otherwise, is unequivocally, totally, and eternally lost and under the wrath of God. That's the bad news of Romans chapters 1 through 3. 
particularly Romans 1.18, which says the wrath of God is revealed against all unrighteousness and all ungodliness of men who suppress the truth. They have the truth, but they suppress it in their unrighteousness. But as Pastor Craig brought out last week, that in Jesus Christ, the righteousness of God through the cross and resurrection, the righteousness of God was made available to all who would put their faith in the Savior, Jesus Christ. As verse 24 says, being justified as a gift. Isn't that a wonderful thing to be justified as a gift? Imagine a, a criminal in court, and he's levied with, say, a $10,000 fine. And the judge says, you're condemned, and you're going to pay this $10,000 fine. But now that the sentence has been passed, I'm willing to pay your $10,000 so you can go free and have a new life. That, in essence, is what God has done for us. Judgment has been passed. All men are condemned. But in Christ, we've been set free from that condemnation. So that, he says, at the end of verse 26, so that God would be just, he has to serve as justice, he's perfect, he has to serve as wrath and justice and righteousness, they would be satisfied at the cross and he would be just and the justifier, it says, so they could freely extend his grace and mercy and love to the one who has faith in Jesus. Justice must be served before pardon can be given. The sentence has to be passed before the prisoner can be set free. And that's what Christ has done for us. Paul put it like this in Romans 6.23. He says, for the wages of sin is death. All men, because they transgress the law of God, because they turn their back on God, because they live sinful, wretched lives, all deserve death, both physical and spiritual. But then he says, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. File that away in your mind. Have that verse on your lips because it is the essence of justification by faith. God is both the just, the judge, and the justifier, the savior of mankind. Now this elicits a series of questions in Paul's mind as we look at this text, these five verses, and the first is at the beginning of verse 27. He says, where then is boasting? Good question. Who are you boasting in? He says, boasting's excluded. In other words, there's nothing to boast about in yourself, in what you've done to earn God's favor, in what you've done to procure your salvation. So where then is boasting? Well, certainly not in man, certainly not in myself or any of my attempts at self-righteousness, and that's what most religions are all about, is self-righteousness. You know, Paul's taken three chapters methodically, literally methodically destroying that argument. Listen to what one commentator said. He said, the greatest lie in the world, and the lie common to all false religions and cults, is that by certain works of their own doing, men are able to make themselves acceptable to God. The greatest error in that belief is its sheer impossibility because you were conceived in sin, born in iniquity. So that's possible from the very first breath. But the greatest evil of that belief is that it robs God of his glory. 
Let me read that again. But the greatest evil of that belief is that it robs God of his glory. And who does it give the glory to? Man. And man's good. Man is basically good. Well, look at our world. Man is not basically good. That is such a lie. It's inconceivable that people can believe it. But the point is, God wants all the glory for our salvation. It's God who chose us from before the foundation of the world, Ephesians 1, 4, and 5. It's God who gave His Son, the perfect Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, John 1, 29, John 3, 16. It's Christ who died on the cross. It's Christ who rose from the dead three days later, victorious over sin and death, 1 Corinthians 15, 3, and 4. It's Christ who ascended to the right hand of the Father. It's Christ who sent the indwelling Spirit to empower our lives, Acts 1, 8. It's Christ in us who builds His church, Matthew 16. And I could go on and on and on, probably for hours, of what Christ has done both in and through us. But where do I get the idea I deserve the credit for anything, especially for my eternal salvation? You know, God in Christ did it all. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 even says that He gave me the faith to believe. You see, all the glory goes to God, isn't it, in the true gospel? None of it goes to man. I can't even thank myself for believing. God even gave me the faith to believe. You know, who do I boast in? Myself, because I was so intellectual and wonderful, and I heard this, and man, I'm, I'm smarter than everybody else, so I believed it. Where then is boasting? Well, certainly not in man, not in myself, but in who? Well, in God. God alone. That's why I brought up the emphasis in our music. It's not about me and what I've done. It's about what Christ and what He has done. It's what God has done through Christ in my life. That's the, the glory of the gospel. You know, Jeremiah hit it right I'll read it again. We read it earlier, but Jeremiah 9.23 says, Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches. Why? Because all that stuff dies. <laughs> all that stuff goes away ultimately and finally and forever. But let him who boasts boast of this, that he understands and knows me. Proverbs 9.10, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Knowledge of the Holy One is understanding that you figure out what life is when you know God because He's the author of life. That I knows me and that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth for I delight in these things, declares the Lord. You know, Paul expanded on that a little bit. We read it last week, but in 1 Corinthians Chapter 1 and verse 26. Listen to what he says again. He says, For consider your calling, brethren. In other words, look around you. Check out yourself, everybody around you. He says, There are not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. Anybody want to make a claim to wisdom and knowledge and nobility here? I mean, look at ourselves. We're a motley crew. In fact, I think there was a singing group called Motley Crew. They got it right. I don't know if they got their music right. But, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world. You know, get it in your mind. God has chosen. 
This is all about God and what God has done. God has chosen the foolish things of the world, referring to us, because the fool has said in his heart there's no God, but when you discover there is a God because he opens your heart, then you cease being a fool, right? To shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world, to shame the things which are strong, and the base things of the world and the spies God has chosen, the things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are. God's not impressed with men. <laughs> He's not impressed with their deeds, their might, their nobility, their wisdom, their whatever. You know, in fact, the wisdom of man is foolishness before God. And the reason being, verse 29, so that no man may boast before God. Just think about that. On that day before, you know, you've shared with enough people to you know how they think about themselves in unregenerate states. You know how you thought about yourself in an unregenerate state. And, and uh, just think of yourself as going before the infinitely holy God going, aren't I wonderful, God? I'm just the most impressive thing that's ever walked the face of this earth. He's not going to be impressed, I can tell you, by any stretch of the imagination. Then he says, but by his doing, who's doing? His doing, you are in Christ Jesus. God did it. God put us in Christ. He placed us in Christ. In fact, John chapter 6 tells us that we are a love gift from the Father to the Son. Then he says, who became to us, Christ became to us, wisdom from God. 1 Corinthians tells us that we have the mind of Christ in chapter 2. Then he says, and righteousness, God made us righteous in Christ, sanctification, salvation, and redemption. God bought us out of the slave market of sin himself. So that, here's the reason. That's the second so that. He says, just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Okay, don't boast in yourself, boast in the Lord. Don't praise yourself and how wonderful you are when people ask you, why are you going to heaven? Uh, praise God. Boast in God. Brag about God, not yourself. That's the wonder of it. God did it all. God wants all the glory. But perhaps Paul captured the heart and soul of this passage when he, when he said in Galatians 6, 14, he said, but may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Boast in the cross. Boast in the wonder of who Jesus is. Justification by faith is the gospel that gives all the glory to God, to the exclusion of man's effort to gain God's acceptance. And every other religion on the face of this planet is in the process of trying to boast in man and try to earn God's favor somehow, whoever that God may be. Paul says that's absolutely impossible. The Word of God says that's absolutely impossible. Now, all this leads to a second question. Look at verses 26 and 27 again, or 27 and 28. He says, where then is boasting? There's nothing to boast about except what God has done. By what kind of law of works? No, but by a law of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. 
Now, quite simply, the question is, are you boasting in the law of human self-effort? That's what it boils down to. To save you, whether it be the law as set forth in the Old Testament or some other law that men subscribe to, is that what's going to save you and make you stand justified before God? You stand up there with the law and say, yeah, I kept this one and this one. Oops, blew that one. Kept this one and this one and uh, didn't keep that one very well. Uh, but I kept that one and that one and, and that should be good enough, God. You know, when do we know, as I've said oftentimes, when your goodies outweigh your baddies? When do you know that? When do you know you've crossed the line of salvation according to the law? Or are you standing by faith, trusting in the finished work of Christ who died once for all for all time on the cross and the fact He conquered sin and death by rising from the dead three days later? Is that what you're trusting in? and giving glory to God for so great a salvation that you now have. Think about it. Who are you really trusting in? Who are you really giving the glory to? Who are you really praising for your salvation? You see, there's nothing wrong with good works. But the fact is, they don't save us. You can do all the good works in the world, and without Christ, you're, you're doomed. You know, as believers, we don't downplay this because like 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do to the glory of God, do this to the glory of God. So whatever you do, do it to the glory of God, and that would keep us out of a lot of trouble if we just memorized that verse and put it into practice. Uh, there's nothing wrong with being a good person, an upright moral person, a religious person, but it doesn't save us. Only the Savior can do that. That's why they call Jesus the Savior, because he saves. <laughs> Nothing else saves. He saves us, and he gets all the glory for it. He gets all the credit for it because he is the Savior. Nobody else is. As Titus 2, 13 and 14 says, we're looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed. Boy, I tell you, that is a comforting verse. I would hate to get a printout. <laughs> you know, we have massive printouts these days. Sometimes you get an email from somebody, and the, you know, the printout on who they sent it to is that long, and the, you know, the email is that big. And uh, I would hate to get a printout of every time I have committed a lawless deed. Every time I've sped going down to Fresno, every time I got upset with that driver in front of me, you know, every time I say something nasty to somebody and do something I shouldn't do, I mean, I would hate to get a printout with that. There wouldn't be enough paper in this room to fill it. But you know what? My life is not characterized by that but I've still broken God's law over and over and over again. But my life is actually characterized by living my life for Christ, by trying to live righteously in his eyes, but we still sin. And it's great to know that he has delivered us, redeemed us from every lawless deed that we 
have committed in the past and will commit in the future. Do we sin that grace may abound? No, not at all. You never take advantage of God's grace, but grace covers all our sin. Grace, grace that is greater than all our sin. Now, if I'm justified, if I were justified by works, by keeping the law to the view of earning God's favor, then I would be in essence earning or buying my way into heaven, and aren't I wonderful? All the glory goes to me. You know, I was talking with a guy I played ball with, I hate to say this, 50 years ago, baseball, and I was witnessing to him, and he kind of stopped me and said, uh, you know, I've got a friend who's a preacher, and he, he says about me that, uh, you know, I, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm the nicest person, I don't lie, don't steal, don't whatever, uh, that he knows the only problem is I'm not a Christian. And I said, dude, that's not his name, but I won't give his name, but I said, dude, I said, that's not what saves you. You know, it's not being nice. You're a sinner, and maybe you're a nice sinner, but you're still a sinner. Maybe you're this evil, vile, wicked, horrible sinner, and you're still as savable as this nice sinner. But the point is, you all need to be justified by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's, that's the whole point of what Paul's saying here. So anyway, we got that point across, and we'll talk again. Uh, but if I'm justified by the one and only Savior who paid the penalty for my sin, who paid my entry fee into heaven, then all the praise and thanks and glory goes to Him. And that's where it belongs, because Isaiah 42 8 says, my glory I will not share with another. And certainly he's not going to share it with me. Probably one of his more unglorious creatures. You see, salvation by faith in Christ and Christ alone, apart from the works of the law, gives all the glory to the Savior. Because only he saves. So where do I make my boast? Praise God. You know. That's it. Praise God for what he's done. Now, in verses 20, 29 and 30, Paul anticipates a typical argument we hear so much these days. Uh, isn't there more than one way to God? All pathways lead to God, coexist, on it goes. But in verses 29 and 30, he says, Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since indeed God who will justify the circumcised by faith, and the uncircumcised by faith, and don't miss these last two words, is one. God is one. Now the argument here is, if God is one, then there can only be one way to enter His presence. Either the law of faith or the law of works. Because if God is one, there can only be but one way of justification for mankind, because there is one true God, and He is God to both the Jew and Gentile of the circumcised and the uncircumcised. And neither man has to be justified by faith in Christ or by the works of the law. And Paul, in the first three chapters, has already proven the impossibility of being justified by law, by keeping a standard perfectly. Because God is perfect, you've got to keep a perfect standard because all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. And uh, He's already told us in verse 20, 
that by the works of the law no flesh will be justified in his sight. For all have sinned, verse 20, and fallen short of the glory of God. The law merely condemns us. It merely points out our sinfulness and hopefully would drive us to the Savior. Now again, to use the driving illustration, mostly the time we spend driving it shows us how bad we need a driving lesson, right? That's why periodically they make sure you know the rules because we're so prone to breaking them. I mean, when was the last time you really stopped at a stop sign without rolling through it up here in the dark? When was the last time you drove 55 down to Fresno? I mean, come on. If you're saying, oh, I do that all the time, well, you're probably a liar, but that's all right. Anyway, you can think of yourself in those terms anyway, but that's not us. We break God's law all the time. We break man's law all the time, continuously. And that's Paul's point. So here he's not arguing for the sake of the doctrine of justification. He's arguing for its exclusivity, that it's the only doctrine that saves whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, whether you have the circumcision or are uncircumcised. It's the only way that glorifies God. It's the only faith that saves, faith in Christ, who is the Savior. Now, to illustrate this, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 19 for a moment. The story of the rich young ruler, because there's so much that could be said on this. You ever broken in a new Bible? These pages are so skinny. I'm afraid of tearing them. But anyway, Matthew 19, verse 16. And someone came to him and said, and this guy was a rich young ruler, Teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? And he said to him, why are you asking me about what is good? There is only one good. There is only one who is good. And here he's referring to himself being God. And if you're asking me what's good, you're asking the one who is good what's good. But if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. Then he said to him, which ones? Which should (laughs) tell you something about this guy. Which ones? I'll try and keep all of the ones you mentioned. And Jesus said, you shall not commit murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man thinks about it for a moment and said to him, all these things I have kept from, have kept, what am I still lacking? You know, Jesus purposely leaves out the command to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, which is the first and foremost commandment. The young man said to him, all these things I have kept from, what am I still lacking? What am I still lacking? Jesus said to him, if you wish to com- be complete, perfect, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. You know, the end of John chapter 21, you know, he says to Peter, you're going to die for me, so let's go, follow me. To John, follow me. That's his call to eternal life. And, uh, but the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving For he's one who owned much property, or should I say his property owned him. 
You see, Christ wants our trust, our faith, our love. And when he has that, he'll have our good works. It doesn't work the other way. Just because you have some good works doesn't mean you know God or trust God or believe in God or anything. There's tons of nice people out there. And when he has our faith and our trust and our love, then he'll have our good works. We'll love and serve him. We'll love and serve our neighbor, but out of love for God, not because we're trying to get something for ourselves. We're not trying to use God as the ultimate rabbit's foot. You know, you rub the genie, and all of a sudden the genie goes out and he does what you want, right? You see, the rich young ruler and his man-exalting religion was all about himself. What good things shall I do? All these things I have kept, what am I still lacking? He had a totally me-centered life. That's what it was all about. It was all about me. What, what, how can I get eternal life? How can I procure it? How can I buy it? How can I get it from you somehow? What do I have to do to get it? And uh, Jesus, in essence, says to him, you lack everything. <laughs> not one thing you own, not one thing you have is worthwhile. Give it all away, trust only in me, and come follow me. Quit worshiping yourself and glorify God. And that, in essence, is justification by faith. Stop clinging to whatever you're trusting in and trust only in what God has done for you in the saving work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's true whether you're a religious Jew or a pagan Gentile. We are all equally condemned, equally lost, but by faith can be equally saved. That's the beauty of it. Everybody's on a level playing field. So where then is boasting? If I have nothing to boast about apart from Christ, where do I get this idea I'm better than other people? I think of the Pharisee in Luke 18. You know, he's going, oh, I do this and I do that and I fast twice a week and I give... I meant Dylan coming to, you know, tithe and, you know, little seeds and, you know, don't miss a thing. And, and I'm way better than this scum over here, this tax gatherer. And the tax gatherer sitting there beating his chest going, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. And Jesus said, which man went to his house justified? Well, the one probably had to get an arm in a cast from congratulating himself by beating himself on the back so hard. And the other may have got a cast, but it was from weeping and dealing with his sin before God and begging for God's justification. So where then is boasting? Where do we get this idea that we're better than others, better and more righteous than other believers, uh, better than liberals, better than people of other races, Jews better than Gentiles, Gentiles better than Jews. Uh, if all the glory goes to God, then other than God, what do I have to boast about? Only the true gospel, the one that glorifies God, is a world changer. If you want to change the world, share this gospel with people. You've got nothing, nothing to beat your drums about 
you're a sinner, you need Christ, and then you need to love God and love people like you should because we're all in the same sinking ship. You see, in a very practical sense, the gospel that glorifies God puts everyone on a level playing field. All men are <coughs> sinners and all are equally condemned and all can be justified as a gift of God's grace through the saving work of Christ. In that sense, all men are created equal, equally condemned, equally justified by faith. Now, this brings up one final question, verse 31. It says, do we then nullify the law through faith? May genetos, strong Greek adversative, may it never be. On the contrary, we establish the law. Paul asked, does faith nullify the law? His answer, a thousand times no. May it never be. It'll never happen. The law is good. In fact, he tells us in Romans chapter 7, he tells us the law is good, the law is spiritual, that he heartily concurs, joyfully concurs with the law in the inner man, but the point is the law cannot save as good as it is. But the beauty of it, in Christ the law is established. The law is fulfilled, Matthew 5.17. He meant the just requirements of the law on our behalf, and through faith, the law of faith in Christ, his righteousness, is credited to our account. You know, we read earlier 2 Corinthians 5.21, um, which says, God made him who knew no sin. Christ was perfect. He was God in the flesh. To be sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And as I've often said, that's the doctrine of imputation. That's where our sin was imputed to Christ's perfect account and thus covered. His perfect righteousness was imputed to our account, thus establishing us in God's eyes as righteous before him. Marvelous doctrine. I, I really can... Uh, I'd really... Uh, exhort you, I guess I could say, to study out that doctrine. It's one of the most wonderful doctrines you'll ever understand in this lifetime. But where is, uh, do we nullify the law? May it never be. Christ fulfilled, Christ established the law on our behalf. Dr. John MacArthur said it like this. He said, the cross establishes or confirms the law in three ways. First, it establishes the law by paying the penalty of death, which the law demanded for failing to fulfill perfectly and completely its righteous requirements. The wages of sin is death. Keep that in mind. When Jesus said that he had come not to abolish the law or the prophets, but to fulfill them, Matthew 5, 17, he was speaking not only of his sinless earthly life, but of his sin-bearing death. Second, the cross establishes the law by fulfilling its purpose of driving men to faith in Jesus Christ. Paul had already declared that by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. Whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, James says, he has become guilty of all. As I've often said, how many times do you have to lie to be a liar? Once. That's where you've broken it and you have become a transgressor of the law. How many times do you have to lust to be an adulterer? How many times do you have to do most anything wrong? and be whatever you did wrong. <laughs> That's the way it is. Paul told the Galatians to lead us 
that, that the, law, the law, law became our tutor, Paul said to the Galatians, to lead us to Christ that we may be justified by faith. Galatians 3.24. Third, the cross establishes law providing believers the potential for fulfilling it. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. As an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us. In other words, Romans 8, chapter 8, verses 3 and 4, he did it all on our behalf. He fulfilled the law for us. So there you have it. What we could never do, God in Christ accomplishes on our behalf. That's the law of faith. That's the law of justification by faith. God did it all on our behalf. So then where is boasting? Well, in God alone, in Christ alone, in the gospel that glorifies God alone, by grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone. I just say let that be the cry of a new reformation in the church of Jesus Christ, to God be the glory great things he has done and will continue to do. May it never be that we should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for a message that is so, so pointed, so brutal on the the goodness of man and the boasting that men and we're all so prone to do. Thank you, Lord, that there is no boast that we can make in ourselves as to our goodness, as to our wonderfulness, but all the glory goes to God, all the glory goes to Christ, especially for our salvation. Lord, thank you that you are the Savior and none other. Thank you that we have put our trust, our faith, our hope totally in you, and Lord, you have not disappointed Thank you that you took our sin to the cross, you nailed it to the cross. Three days later, you rose victorious over sin and death to prove your claim. And Lord, you're coming back soon. And we look forward to that day when we would worship you for both now and forever. For we pray in Christ's name. Amen.